pull our principles back up here, our guiding principles. Honor God, build people, and connect communities. Without the honor God part, we just a good social service agency. Because every organization that exists for good exists to build people and connect communities in some kind of way. All the Peter people want to connect everybody who believe the same way, the same way. They want to connect a community. So without this principle of honoring God here, we're just a good social service organization. How many of you know that the church is called to be more than a good social service organization? It is an organization where the power of God should be seen. If the power of God is going to be seen through us, it's got to first be seen in us. And in order for it to be seen in us, we have to do the work in our soul that allows us to submit to God and let it be done his way. So I really want to talk about my topic for today is growing, but I'm going to connect to you how everything else needs to be done through honoring God. Okay, so how do we honor God? There are only two ways you can honor God. Everything else is going to fall under this category. Two ways. Obey God. Love God. And the only way that you show you love God is that you obey God. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Parents, here is a great parenting tool right here. When your kids be like, I love you, like if you really love me, do what I say. That's what the Bible said. In fact, the only thing you have to offer to the Lord is your obedience. When God asks for your money, it ain't for your money, it's for your obedience. When God asks you to fast, it's not for fasting, it's for your obedience. When God asks you to be quiet and exercise self-control, it's not about you being quiet, it's about your obedience. The only thing that a believer has to offer the Father is obedience. And in fact, obedience is so important that it tells us that Jesus himself learned obedience. Even Jesus, who had was counted, Pastor Edwin told us last week, he was considered God could have come here and did whatever he wanted to do. But you read the Gospels and Jesus says this, I do whatever the Father tells me to do. I say whatever it is the Father tells me to say. So it means that if I'm going to be a strong believer and a growing believer, you know what I'm not a person that does? I'm not a person who keeps it real. I'm a person who do what God tells me to do. Now, I may be cussing you in my head, but not with my mouth, because at the end of the day, I'm going to do what God told me to do. So if I'm married, I'm not going to be playing with the divorce word every time I get upset. I'm not going to be thinking about escaping. If I'm a father or a parent, I'm going to take good care of my kids. Why? Because that's what I do to show God that I honor him. I'm going to be obedient. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to be obedient. Now, then we started talking about my specific topic this morning is about growing. Tell your neighbor, say, you got to grow up. Now, this go get on some, up under some people's skin, but I'm okay with that because some of you need to grow up. You, 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 in the same way, in the same way that if Pastor Elman had on a diaper today and wasn't something wrong with him, like some kind of medical condition, you would think that it was something retarded that his mama had to come in here and take him in the bathroom and change his diaper. That's just what it looks like when a believer doesn't grow up. We ought to see the progression in your life. We ought to see, you ought to see the progression in my life. Those people who knew me in college ought to see somebody different than who saw us when we first started pastoring the church. And those people who saw us when we first started pastoring the church be like, yeah, it's something different. But 10 years from now, you ought to see something different because we ought to constantly be growing. Tell your neighbor, say, you need to grow. You need to grow. Now, Romans 12 and 2, it tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So growth isn't automatic. 
It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, establish as true in your own life, what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God for you. Don't be conformed to this world. When it says don't be conformed to this world, it don't mean like don't dance. It means the world holds grudges. Don't hold grudges. It means the world can be selfish and mean. Don't be selfish and mean. It means the world doesn't trust God for what they need. Trust God for what you need. It says be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is the absolute best tool to change your mind? The word. Amen. Who said that? Yes. What is the best tool to change your mind? The word of God. Let us see. This one, the one everybody need to get, okay? What's the best tool to change your mind? The word of God. So if you're going to grow as a believer, here is something you must establish. You must decide that the word is both first and final for you. If you're going to be successful as a believer, you must decide that the word is both first and final. It means that it's the first place I go to decide what I should do. And it means that it's the final authority even when it tells me to do something I don't want to do. If I'm going to live successfully as a believer, the word must be what? And what? And I got to decide that before I get into crisis. I got to decide that I'm committed to obeying the word before I'm in trouble. Because anybody can obey God when everything is easy. Anybody can bless the Lord when you got more money than you know what to do with it. When your husband giving you a lot of hunting, you're feeling good, he brought you roses, your kids being obedient, you got a promotion at your job. Who can't praise God then? But what are you going to do when you're in adversity? What are you going to do when you're in a situation like Daniel and you're being oppressed on every hand? What are you going to do when the enemy is coming up against you and you're working in an environment that you know God told you to be in, but it doesn't seem to be working on your half? What's going to happen then? you got to decide then, before then, that the word is first and final. you got to decide that the word is first and final in how you raise your kids. The word has to be first and final in how you raise your kids. You use the word as the standard for how you engage with your kids. You use the word to instruct them. Not what you feel, not even all that stuff that your parents did to you. Because even some of that stuff your parents did to you when they were doing it, you thought, that's stupid. That don't make a lick of sense. So you use the word. The Bible says train them up in the way that they should go. That's not just about doing right and wrong. It is about doing right and wrong. But part of your responsibility as a parent is to find out what the gift is on your child and develop that. So you got a child that's gifted in the arts. You ain't out there screaming at them trying to make them play basketball because you was good at basketball. You find out what they're good at, what God created them for, what God put them in the world, and then you point them like an arrow in that direction. It's the reason 80% of people in the world right now hate their job. Because somebody advised them to do jobs based off of what they thought would make a lot of money instead of what they were created to do. So if we're going to grow, there are some things we have to do to grow because growth is not automatic. Is this making sense? So let's look at 
piece of paper go. So we're going to use a lot of scripture today because if the word is going to be first and final, you need to know what the word says. Let's look at, look at Luke 6, 46. So one of the challenges for a lot of believers is that a lot of believers have accepted Jesus as Savior, but he's not Lord. The Bible says, why call me, ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? So a lot of people want God to be Savior. You want him to be Superman. You get in trouble. You don't want to go to hell. You don't want to live in hell. But throughout your life, you want to do what you want to do, and you want God to rescue you. So you want to make whatever decision you want to make. You want to go wherever you want to go. You want to do whatever it is that you want to do. And then when it all falls apart, you're like, God, where are you? He was like, I'm back three miles when I told you to obey and not go any further. Now, the great thing about God is that it says if you make your bed in hell, he will come and find you. But who want to make it a practice of making your bed in hell? Who just wants your whole life to be a bunch of deliverance stories? Like at some point it ought to be a deliverance and then victory, 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 victory. Not the children of Israel. Get free, go back to bondage. Lord, help us. Get free, go back to bondage. Lord, help us. Now some of you used to live that life. You know that life. You went out, did some stuff you shouldn't do. I ain't going to say it because the kids in here, but you can infer. Sometimes you woke up in places with people she wasn't really sure how you got there. Sometimes you had little scares at certain times of the month. And so you would say to the Lord, you'd be like, Lord, if you just, if you just this one time, Lord, if you just this one time, I'm going to do the right thing. And you was real repentant in your heart at the time. Actually, you were just real sad. You weren't real repentant. You were, like a, you were just like, you're like, Lord Jesus, please. you scared and sad, but you're not repentant. How do I know? Because as soon as you was over that hurdle, you went right back. The Bible says that that's like a dog who returns to the vomit. As you're growing, there ought to be things you're not going back to. As you're growing, there, I, I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but I'm saying that you ought to be able to look in your own life and say, there are some things I used to do, but now because the word is working on me, I don't do those things anymore. Amen? So we're not going to just be people who call Jesus Savior and we don't submit. If you want to have a happy marriage, you got to do it God's way. You want to be a happy single, you got to do it God's way. And the challenge for a lot of people is that when people think that God is asking you not to do something, you think that he's trying to take something from you. God is never trying to take anything from you. If God asks you not to do something or to do something, it's always for your good. He is not a hard taskmaster. He is not just out trying to keep you from having fun with everybody else. But what he knows is that there's a lot of stuff, and how many of you can testify to this, there's a lot of stuff that look fun, but when you get in it, it ain't really as much fun as you thought it was. It's not really as much fun. It looked like it's a lot of fun to be way turned up till in the morning. Way, you know, way turned up. I ain't say you can turn up a little bit, but way turned up. And when you way turned up, and you look good. But in the morning, it ain't no good. You think you cool with casual relationships till they see you out and don't speak to you. You don't want to do things your own way. You say, oh, well, I'm married, Pastor Sean. That's not my issue. You think it's cool to talk to your spouse the way you want to talk to them until they don't want to be with you. And then you're like, Lord, I don't know what happened. How did the devil get in? The devil got in through you because you want to be quiet. And so you have to honor God by committing to obedience and growing up. Amen. You done come a long way. You done come a long way. 
Amen. So now let's gonna, we're going to look at some scriptures because if the word is going to change our life, we have to establish that the word should be the most important thing. We have to establish, and how do we use the word to establish why the word is the most important thing? Here's the thing. There are people, and they have all these debates about the Bible. If you start picking and choosing what part of the Bible is true, then how do you even know salvation is true? you got to decide that the, the Bible says that this Bible, it was given to us for correction and for edification and to help us live the best life that we can live. How many of you want to live the best life that you can live? How many of you don't want to go through life, wasting your life, don't know what your purpose is, hating to come home, hating to go to work? How many don't want to live that way? Then we want to do things God's way, and we do that by growing. Amen? So let's look at Matthew 13. Now, this scripture that I'm going to share with you in Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. It's actually such an important scripture that it is found in almost every gospel. It is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The only gospel it's not found in is, the, is John. And so basically, when, you know, when we talk about when you see something on the test over and over again, what does that tell us? It's going to show up. When we keep hearing, it's going to show up. And so I want to take some time to walk you through the parable of the sower, and then we're going to go through some scriptures. And, and you're going to probably get a little more scripture than you used to getting from us, but it's a reason for that because we want to see you grow up and be victorious. How many of you want to be victorious? No, that, that's just it? Just that side of the room? Let me just preach to this side of the room then. Don't, I mean, I, I'm going to ask again. How many of you actually want to be victorious? The Bible says, thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Christ Jesus. Christian and loser should never be spoken in the same sentence. The Bible says, thanks be to God because we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. So Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower, and basically it says the sower went out to sow. And when we talk about the sower going out to sow, he's talking about the word, how Jesus, God, they go out and they sow the word. And this ground that he's talking about is the heart where it lands when the word goes. Because how many of you know believing is a choice? How many know believing is a choice? You choose what you believe. Whatever you believe, it's a choice. Because there are things that people tell you and no matter how passionate about you, like, mm-mm, that ain't right. Right? And there are other things with very little convincing you believe because believing is a choice. So in Matthew 13, we're going to start with verse 3. We're going to read a little bit. Actually, I want to start, not verse 3. Hmm. Let's go further. Oh, it would help if I was in Matthew, not Mark. My bad. I was like, that's not what it said this morning when I read it. It said, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell on stony ground where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had not root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. How many of you know that sometimes when you read in King James about version of the Bible, you don't know what that means? Now, the challenge for a lot of people is that you read it, and you be like you did your reading, but you don't know nothing that you just read. And so the disciples were actually the same way when it happened. But Jesus preached this parable, 
It's a parable, meaning that it was a story, meaning that it was a story to produce a greater truth. Now, if you keep going on, when the disciples got by themselves with Jesus, they were like, "What? when you was preaching, what in the world were you talking about? Keep going. And so he says to them, he says, here is what the parable of the sower means. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the first thing he's telling you is whether you will ever receive any spiritual truth or not is determined by your heart. It's determined whether you want to hear it or not. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody was talking to you about what you ought to do, but you already knew what you was going to do? And it didn't matter what they said to you? And they could give you the best laid argument and what Jesus wanted and what, the, and what your mama wanted and everybody. But in your mind, you was like, when you get through talking, I'm going to do exactly what I was planning to do. Don't be that way about the word. Amen. Don't pull your shade down about the word. Now, sometimes you may have to say to the Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this if you don't help me. I'm not real good with that whole forgiveness piece. So if you don't help me out, I'm going to hold a grudge till they melt in the floor. But you got to just tell the Lord so he can help you. And then he'll teach you how to forgive. So they say to Jesus, they say, we don't know what this means. And he says, here is what the parable of the sower means. You got to have ears to hear it. Because Why? In verse 11, it says, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Say, I'm a believer. And God wants me to understand the kingdom. The Lord works in mysterious ways, not to believers, because he will, by his spirit, reveal to you what he's doing. Now, I don't mean he's going to tell you what's going on in everybody's life, because that ain't your business, but he will reveal instruction for your own life. And so it says, because it is given to you. So this first premise that you have to start with in your heart is that God wants you to understand the word. God wants you to know how to apply the word of God. He doesn't want the word to be like calculus or some high-level engineering class to you and you an elementary ed major. He wants you to understand the word so you can apply it because you cannot apply what you don't understand. Does anybody else know that? You can't apply math you don't understand. You can't speak French if you don't know French. Now, you may be able to repeat what they're saying as long as they're in your face, but as soon as they're gone. My kids have these friends that speak all different languages, right? Never fails. One kid, every time he get in the car, I say, tell me how to say hello. He tell me how to say hello every single time. I say it all the way to his house. When I see him the next time, he said, Miss Strickland, how you say hello? I'm like, huh? He why? It's not in my heart yet to gauge it. You don't want to be that person about the word that you're constantly hearing, but it's never getting in your heart. So you're like, tickle my ears some more. Tell me something else. Tell me something else to entertain me when you haven't worked on mastery and what it is that you have. A lot of people always want a new word. Have you mastered the word you have now? Because let me tell you, you can go over there in 1 Corinthians 4 and 8 that talks about the characteristics of love, that love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love does not keep record of right and wrong. You can live there for your whole life. You can live your whole life because the word of God is alive. So a scripture that says something to you on Monday will say something totally different to you on Tuesday based on where you are. So he says, here's the deal. Here's what happens when people get the word. It says, 
I want us to read this. It says, therefore, I speak to them in parables because they sing, see not, and hearing they hear not, and neither do they understand. So Jesus basically told stories to make the people curious, curious enough to ask what he was really saying. And then he went on and say, it wasn't that they couldn't understand. It was that they chose not to understand. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you felt like they weren't trying to understand? Like they could understand if they wanted to, but they don't want to understand. Don't be that way about the word. Don't be a person who's hard-hearted, who's always looking for an excuse not to do the word, not to understand, not to be argumentative. We want our hearts to be pliable to what God is saying. Not just the good, I'm going to promote you this year kind. But the, I really want you to take your coworker who's trying to get you fired to lunch kind of stuff. That. Not, not just you go get a promotion, but can you be a blessing to this person who you know would set a trap for you if they got a chance? Can you be kind to your spouse once your spouse is talking crazy to you? Ooh. Ooh. What you going to do then? What is the word going to work in you when there's pressure? What's going to be produced in pressure? That's why we put the word in us daily. So we put it in us daily so when pressure comes, we find ourselves getting stronger and responding in a different way. So he says, he says, um, but my, my favorite part of this verse is in 14. I mean, verse 15, it says, For the people's hearts is waxed gross, and their ears of dull of hearing, and their eyes they have clothed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, they should be converted, and I will heal them. Look at what it's saying right now. It's saying that the reason that people don't get breakthrough is because their hearts are waxed gross, their ears have gotten dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. I'm going to give you a great example. Have some ever been talking to somebody or somebody's been talking to you and you try to give them the word and they say don't quote all them bible scriptures to me that your your heart is now waxed gross because now when you hear that the lord can heal you don't want to hear that what you want to hear is the lord says you should forgive you don't want to hear that you want to hear them say cuss them out Go ahead, cuss them out, cuss them, cuss they mama, I'll go with you. And so when they try to give you the word, you like, shade down, I don't want to hear that. Don't be that way when it comes to the word. Be quick to change. Look, David got in a lot of trouble. David got in a lot of trouble. David cheated with another man's wife. He then tried to get the man to sleep with the woman so that he could think, convinced him that the baby was his when the man didn't do it he didn't have the man killed now he did all of that but when the prophet Nathan came and brought him the word he repented so no matter how much mess you have done when somebody brings you the word you should repent you should change it doesn't matter the depth of the mess is can you change anytime can you go my bad you right I really do need to forgive my bad, you right. I got a nasty attitude. My bad, you right. I'm a grudge holder. My bad, you right. I am being lazy about this situation. At any time, you get to decide. And then he says, as soon as you do it, you will be converted. Same thing for Romans 12. Be transformed. You will be converted. And then what happens? You're healing. You're healing. Because God can't heal you from your daddy issues as long as you're talking about them every day and you want to be mad. 
when you want to be mad that your daddy wasn't there. You want to be angry. You want to blame every single thing in your life. Your heart has waxed gross. But if you give it to him, he can heal you from it. So you're not 40 still talking about the fact that he didn't come to your birthday party at 6. And it may seem funny, but there are a lot of people who struggle with that because they won't give God because they have decided that they have a right to hold on to what's contrary to God. I got a, I've, I've been told a lie, and I got a right to hold on to it. This problem is too big for God. So I'm not going to let go. And I'm not going to forgive them first because they've never asked me to. My heart is wax gross. My eyes are dull of hearing. My ears are dull of hearing. And my eyes I have closed. Lest if I see them and hear and understand, I would change and I would be healed. We counsel lots of married couples. It don't matter what you come with. You know what always determines whether they go turn it around or not? Whether they open to change. Whether they open to change. It don't matter. Can't nobody pray you into change. You got to choose to change. And can't nobody lay you in oil and slick you up like a chicken leg and make you change. You have to decide to change. Now, once you decide to change, there is a grace to empower you to change that you don't even know is available till you decide to change. Ooh, that's good stuff. That's how you need to learn to read the Bible and love the word right there. Because that's some of my meat. And some of you fell asleep on the verse 4 and never got into all of this meat that he's saying. Here's what's happening when you're hearing the word. Then he says, he says, here's what it really means. He says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked way one and catcheth away what was in his heart, this is he which is sown by the wayside. It says, so when you hear word, all of us can relate to this. You hear the word. It's the reason that we heard the word. How many of you can acknowledge you didn't get saved the first time you heard the message of salvation? Because you hearing, you hearing, you hearing, but it's not really in your heart to produce transformation yet. It says, and so then what would happen is, is that you'd hear somebody say that God can forgive you for your sins, but because you didn't immediately grab hold and say, yes, I believe that's true, the enemy would talk you out of it and say, not you. You got too many sins. You've done too much stuff. He says, that's what happened when the enemy comes and he snatches away the word that you've heard. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to give you a promotion, but you don't know the people at my job. Now what you're doing, the moment you say you don't know the people at my job, you've allowed unbelief to come and snatch what God said he would do to you. I'm going to turn your kids around. Don't be moved by what you see. They so crazy. Snatch because you didn't understand. Now look at what he says. The enemy can never take a word from you that you understand. He can put a lot of pressure on you. But you're always the one that decides whether to believe or not. Next verse, next verse. It says, and he that receiveth the word in a stony place, he is the same that heareth the word and receiveth it with joy, yet he has no root in himself and endureth for a little while, but when trials and tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, he is offended. So it says, if you are a person with a stony heart, you're going to struggle with offense. 
go offended people. Offended people do this. So if it's you, you can change. Offended people walk into the room. Now, it's just natural that if you walk into a room and people see you, that they stop talking because you walked into the room, right? You go, they stopped talking because they was talking about me. Didn't nobody speak to me. Don't nobody want to be my friend. People who struggle with offense. Every time somebody give you some correction, they hating on me. Everywhere the correction is not a hater. I promise you all them people who say they got haters don't have that many haters. Yeah, everybody is not a hater. There is nothing to hate about mediocrity. You ain't done nothing for nobody to hate. If you're easily offended, then what's going to happen is the enemy's going to use the fact that you are a person who was easily offended to get you to abandon the word. So married couples or family situations, if you are a person with a stony heart who struggles with offense, the enemy will use your spouse or your children or your family to keep you offended. And instead of believe, because the Bible says love believes the best. But how many of you can admit that sometimes when people you love do something, you don't think the best about them? Oh, we going to be quiet. We ain't going to be honest about yeah, we don't believe the best about them. Now, even though they, like, loved you and they picked you and they chose you, and, like, like, like 90% of the time they're trying to do everything they can to make life good for you, right? But that 10%, like, because how do I know you easily offended? We easily offended because we say things like always. Like, right. you always talk to me crazy. Always? So, like, when I sent you them text messages today and told you how much I love you, I was talking to you crazy then. You don't never take me out. Like, never? Like, I ain't, I ain't never took you out of nowhere? I mean, never? That's the indication that you are a person who plays with offense a lot. Always? Never? Every time I get a job, they hating on me. They trying to hold me back. Every job? Everybody? You're a person who plays with offense a lot. And the person who plays with offense can't produce the word because the offense literally becomes like a root that, I mean, a weed that chokes out the plant. It's one of the reasons that if you're a gardener, what do you have to do? You have to pull out the weeds. Because if you don't pull out the weeds, they will choke out the plant. And if you don't pull out the weeds of offense in your own heart, then it will choke out the word that you hear. Because if you struggle with offense, in the next 24 hours, you will have opportunity to get offended. You got to choose not to take it. You just got to go, nope, not going there. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to pass this test. Then the next one is, he says, he that also receiveth the word among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And then the carols of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. To me, this is one of the most dangerous ones to be. Because you're a person who's heard the word, you've gotten some results from the word, and now you have gotten so deceived by the promises of God by your pursuit of the promises of God, you become, you become more captivated than the, with the dream than the dream giver. And now you are allowing your need to hustle to choke out your relationship with God. Because in the beginning, you needed a word from, everything, from God for everything. Now you don't need a word from God for nothing. You got this. You smart enough. He says that will choke 
out the fruit that you already had. So God will use the word to change your relationship, and then you'll get so cocky and so confident that you got a master that you'll stop listening to the word about what you need to do in your relationship and end up in a worse situation than you were. He says, don't be that way because there's a fourth person you can be. Next. Verse 23, yes. But he that receiveth the word into good ground is he that does what? He hears the word and he understands it. And then it beareth fruit and brings forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So it says that when the word gets in your heart, it's going to produce. You can say it like this. You start hearing the word that the Bible talks about not having any profane language come out of your mouth. Your cursing ought to start going down. We ought to start seeing a decrease in the words that come out your mouth. We ought to start seeing an increase in your level of excellence. Whatever it is that you put the word on, there should be some increase in it. You should begin to see some fruitfulness that wasn't there before. Amen? All right. Y'all still with me? Let's go to Matthew 5 and 18. No, no, no. Let's go to Isaiah 55 and 10. Isaiah 55 and 10. Here's why you should believe the word over yourself. How many of you can admit you've been wrong before? If you've been wrong, let me see your hand. You've been wrong. No, you've been wrong. I know you've been wrong. I live with you. So, how many of you know that God hasn't ever been wrong? Right? Never been wrong. If you believe God never been wrong, raise your hand. So, let me ask you a question. If you had to choose who to believe, you were God. What do the odds tell you you should go with? What do the odds tell you you should go with? If you got to choose between what you think and what God thinks, where should you go? Why? Because he ain't never been wrong. Have you been wrong? You've been wrong. Even if you've only been wrong once. Now, if you've only been wrong once, now you're wrong twice because you're lying because you're saying you've only been wrong once. But if, let's just say you've only been wrong once because you're a baby or something. But if you've only been wrong once, God still got you beat. So if you've got to choose between who to believe, believe God. Tell your neighbor, say, believe God. Look at your neighbor with a big smile. Say, God is way smarter than you anyway. He's way smarter than you anyway. Have you ever been trying to talk to God about you and somebody else like you know everything about them and everything about Let me help you. You don't even know everything about you. You don't even know why you do all the stuff you do. Now, you know some of that stuff crazy, but you ain't got to the root of why you do some of that stuff yet. So now you go talk to God about how you know why they do what they do and why you do what you do. Stop it. Believe God. This is what it says about the word. It says, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. I want to stop right here. Look right here. He says, when the rain comes down, what is the rain going to do to the earth? It's going to make it wet. It's going to make it wet, Right? It says, when the word goes into your heart, it shall not return void. So if you have a pliable heart, it will produce fruit. And I love this because it uses this illustration of water, which means that it doesn't matter how dry your heart used to be. If you get enough word in your heart, you will change. Say, if I get enough word, I will change. Make this declaration. Say, I declare that my crazy... It's decreasing day by day. Amen. 
I mean, see, you ought to just get a Lord a hand clap of praise for that. And somebody who know you ought to clap and take off running. We go decrease on crazy. What's crazy to say we believe God and come here and lift our hands and not believe him in our everyday life? That's crazy, double-minded, unstable. So it says that he will cause this word. It says it, he, it shall not return to him void, but it shall accomplish that thing which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I send it. So when God sends word to you, if your heart is pliable and you don't let go of the word, the word will produce. We believe God because the word always produces. It always produces. And I got to get you stared up and fully convinced about that because you got to get to come to a point in your life where you don't believe that there is a choice about whether to believe God or not, where your only choice is to believe God. Man, if God can speak and create this earth, if God can cause a virgin to give birth to the Savior, surely God can deal with your situation. Surely he can. That has to be the expectation of people of faith. I, I don't care how big my situation looks. I don't care how long I've been in this bondage. I don't care how crazy it looks. This word shall not return void. That's why I can't afford to tell you don't tell me the word. When I'm at my craziest, I need you to tell me what God said. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 5 and 18. Why am I showing you this? Because I want you to know that this, you got to get the word in your heart. You got to know what the Bible says about the word, which means that you have to grow up and you have to become a person who doesn't just go to church for two stories and a poem. You got to be a person that begins to love to see what the word has to say. You do. It says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. My hope, if there is anything of value in my life, it has been built on the word. Every single dream God gave me, I would have tore it apart without the word. So I have to make the word the first authority. How many of you know that just because you're a good parent, it ain't no guarantee? You better be a Holy Ghost Spirit-filled led parent. You better know how to hear the Lord for your kids. So if your kids doing something, the Lord be like, don't let them be friends with them. Get them away from them. Because they're going to set them up for failure later in life. You got to be able to hear God about that. You got to be able to hear God about where your kids spend the night. I'm not talking about living in fear and saying they can't never spend the night with nobody. I'm talking about being like this. My kids come in, they ask us something. While they talking, I'm listening. That cool? If it ain't cool, we teach our kids early. Listen, if we say no, we ain't never saying no to hurt you. If we say the jo our job is to protect you. You got to say to the Lord, Lord, tell me anything about my kids that would set them up for failure. Help me understand why they react the way that they act. When they're throwing a temper tantrum, tell me what's really happening. I need to deal with this. We have one kid in particular that a temper tantrum always indicates that she is void of emotional affection. She needs a hug. If you just stop and give her a hug, you can change the... Some of you with your spouses, if you would hug your spouse, if you would just hug them, they wouldn't act so crazy. Some of you with your kids, you're so busy making a living, you're not touching them enough. You're not giving them enough affection. You're not taking five minutes to listen to their story. Let me tell you, all you parents who got little kids who talk a lot now, let them talk. 
Because when they're teenagers, you need them to talk. You need them to talk. You need them laying their big selves in your bed, in between you, laying down, telling you about everybody who's doing everything. Because as long as they talking, you still the best friend. You need to be the best friend. That's how you learn. But you got you to gotta hear God about that. And there'll be moments where you'll be really busy and the Holy Ghost will say, stop. You need to pay attention to what they're saying right now. There'll be moments where you'll be getting ready to spank or to punish, and the Lord will say, nope, that's not what you need to do in this situation. What you need to do is this instead. you got to be led by the Spirit. you got to be led by the Spirit on your job. Especially if you have a high-profile, high-intensity job. Do you not know that that work is designed for you to never get finished with it? It is designed for you to never get finished with it. It is designed for that. I used to watch Pastor L when he would clean out his email on Friday. That would be his task by Monday morning at 8 o'clock. It would be 50 emails. It is designed to overtake you. That's why you got to say, Lord, who do I need to email now? Who do I need to call? I need this meeting. I got this project. You ain't smart enough to go to work by yourself. You need the Lord to go to work with you. You need the Lord to instruct you. And that's how believers live in victory. Amen. It says, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one, not one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law till all be fulfilled. It means that what God says shall surely come to pass if he can find somebody to believe it. And he'll find somebody. The question is whether it's going to be you. Are you going to be a believer? Amen. Let me stay behind this podium so I can go fast. Hold on. Psalms 138 and 2. Psalms 138 and 2. But I'm telling you, you got to love the word. And even some of you, you feeling a little antsy, but you're a little excited. Let me explain what's happening. Your spirit man is excited because your spirit man liked the word. Now, it's your flesh that ain't disciplined, but if it was a movie, you could sit. And so you got to train yourself to sit for what will change your life. You got to train yourself to sit for what will change your life because entertainment won't change your life. It's fun, but it won't change your life. So when you start feeling that little antsy, you just go settle down. We're going to be okay. We're going to stay engaged. We're going to get us some discipline so we can grow up. Why? Because if we can discipline ourselves in church, we can discipline ourselves in the argument. These things right here, like what we do what we do intentionally because we want to see you win. Psalms 138 and 2, it says, oh, I love this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. This talks about why we praise the Lord. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. But look at this. For thou hast magnified what? His word above his name. Now, how many of you know that it says the name of Jesus is above all other names? And it says, but God has made his word higher than the name of Jesus. Well, how does that even make sense? Because a a man's name is only as good as his word. A man's name is only as good as his word. So So God says, here's how you know you can even trust the name of Jesus when you call on it. Because the word that backs it, the word that I spoke is the truth. Amen. Let's go to Numbers 23 and 19. When we say amen, we don't say amen from some religious response. Amen literally means it is so. So when you hear word, you say amen. You're you're saying I agree with that. It don't mean I understand it all. It means but I choose to agree that it's true. Oh, I love this. 
He says, God is not a man that he should lie. How many know folks will lie? Will folks lie? How many know you'll lie? Amen. See, I want you to tell the truth. It ain't just folks will lie. It's you. You'll lie too. Amen. He said, God is not a man that he should lie. Not a son of man that he should repent. Have you ever told a lie on accident? Somebody asks you something and you you can't and, and, and before you know it, it just come out. My friend, she used to she used to yell out, she go, that's not the truth. She was training herself not to tell, not to tell lies. Because you know, you know, sometimes somebody call you and they go, they go, did you get my message? You want to go, no. Cause cause it's easier than saying, well, I ain't call you back because I don't want to talk to you. I mean, so, so I mean, so I mean, so you will you you will lie. You'll lie by omission you will lie intent you will lie by what you leave out you will lie see because some of you like I don't lie by what I say but you lie by what you leave out for example they say did you go shopping mm-hmm I bought this shirt but you don't say I bought this shirt I bought two more pair of pants and a purse and I'm going back when I get through you don't say that you just go I bought this shirt because that's what you see my favorite one I used to say he would say um um, when did you get this? I go, I've been had this because being in my mind had meant like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like if it had made it in the closet, I've been had it, okay? <laughs> so it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it, nor has he spoken and shall he not make it good? Keep going. I think there's something else I want to read. Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe, don't. Yes. Technology. I received a commandment to bless, and he has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So literally what he was saying right here is that when God puts the blessing on your life, when God says that you're going to prosper, when God says that he's going to turn your marriage around, when God says he's going to do whatever he's going to do, it can't be stopped. The only way it doesn't come to pass is if you break up with what God said. You have to break. God doesn't break up with what he said about you because you messed up. You disqualify yourself when you choose not to believe. So I say, I'm a believer. Amen. Okay. Narrow it down. Romans 10 to 17. Because these scriptures are important. How does faith come? Faith come by hearing. Hearing what? How does faith come to anybody? How do you know? I'll give you a perfect example. So when we got ready to do the Christmas party, um, Kathleen said that she could make ornaments. Now, I had never seen Kathleen make an ornament before. So all I got is her word. And I don't know her really well, right? So I don't necessarily know that I can trust her word. She seemed like good people. She seemed like she would tell the truth, you know. But we just read that people lie, but God won't lie, right? So, and you know that good is relative, right? So I asked Kathleen to let me see her work. When she let me see her work, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. When you see, when, when I saw her previous work, I was confident that she could produce what she said. That's why you have to rehearse what God has previously done so you can be confident in what he said he will do. See, once I saw that little ornament she sent me, I said, girl, what you need me to go get to make these ornaments? Because I can trust you. And that's why you have to rehearse what God has done in your life so that you go, wait a minute. Listen, who has God healed before? Who has God restored before? Who did God help when they didn't have money before? Who has God come through before? If he did it then, he can do it again. I let his past work confirm what he'll do this time. 
So then faith comes by hearing. That's why as a believer, I want to hear the testimonies. That's why you got to say, I used to be crazy. I ain't crazy no more. I'm not near as crazy. Or I used to barely make enough money to pay my bills. I started listening to the Lord. Or I didn't know how I was going to graduate from school. And then the Lord helped me pass this class. You got to read testimonies. And then you got to share the testimonies. Because Revelation said we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimonies. And believers who ain't saying nothing ain't overcoming nothing. If you're not speaking a word to your situation... And I know it's hard, especially when you live in an area like this and people think it's really good to be smart. But I'm going to keep saying this. It's a place smart can't free you from. Smart can't free you from everything. We got a lot of degrees at our house. We think we're pretty smart. But it's some situations that it wasn't nothing that they taught in any of those classes that had the ability to help us. So you got to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by God. I'm only going to do two more scriptures. I'm going to do three more scriptures. Three more. Three more. <laughs> But that's how you ought to be about the word. Because when we leave service today, there are going to be people of us, we're going to stay around and we're going to tell one more joke and one more funny story and one more thing. And it'll be two hours later and we'll still be up here and then we'll go to dinner together and then we'll hang out for two more hours talking about. That's how you got to be about the word because the word will change your life. The word will change your life. And it will let you build your life on a foundation that is not shaken by trouble. See, being a Christian does not exempt you from life circumstances, but being a believer helps you overcome them all. Because you don't have a problem that's new to God. It may be new to you, but it is never new to God. The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. There is no betrayal. There is no hurt. There is no trap. There is no pain. There is nothing going on in your life that God doesn't have the ability to get you out of. Amen. First, second Corinthians 1.20. And then really, I'm only going to do two more after that. I said three more, then two more. Really, I'm only going to do two more. But I love the word. It changed my life. For all the promises of God in him are what? Yes. yes and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. Now, I just got to say this. A lot of times people say they're in faith. But you can't be in faith for something that somebody didn't promise. I'm going to give you a great example. I would like for Walmart to give me a check. I don't work for them, no. It would be crazy for me to go out and write some checks because Walmart people would go get paid on Friday. Because I don't work for Walmart. You understand what I'm saying? So in order for me to know what God has promised me, I got to find out. Which husband, which job. Every good job ain't your job. Every car ain't your car. Sometimes God says, no, not right now. It's not the time. And people who aren't disciplined can't handle that. And then they like little kids throwing temper tantrums. Well, God, I've been working with you so long. But you was crazy way longer than you went to the Lord. You've been serving the Lord for like three years. You was ratchet for like 17. I mean, even if it took the Lord 17 years, you still, you still ain't even yet. You still just broke even. But that's the way human nature does. You be like, I've been walking with the Lord. I've been doing everything the Lord told me to do. And that ain't even the truth because if we started dissecting, you ain't done everything the Lord told you to do. You haven't. And so you can't let yourself be this person who's in faith for something God didn't say. That's why when you come to us, one of the things we're going to ask you is, what did God say? Because we can't be in faith over what God didn't say. 
You want to be married. When you get married, don't just pick them because they cute. Don't just pick them because they got finances. Don't just pick them because they make you tingle. Don't just pick them because they got vision. You got to say, is this the person God wants me to be with? Why? Because trouble will come. And when trouble comes, you need to know that you know that you know. You be like, you is crazy, but I know the Lord put us together. You need to know that. Because if you don't know that, then what you're going to say is this, you is crazy. And I'm out. And a lot of people haven't been able to restore their marriage because they didn't know to begin with they should be together. When you go to a job, did God send you there? Well, if God sent you there, why are you concerned about the adversity? And here's what people do. You ask for a job. You, go, you want to believe in God for a job. You go come see us when you believe in God for a job. You'll say, Pastor and Pastor Sean, I need you to get in agreement with me. I'm believing God for this job. We're going to say, do you believe that's the will of God for your life? You're going to say, yes, I believe it's the will of God for my life. It is everything that is on my vision board. I believe that the Lord wants me to have this job. We're going to say, we're going to grab hands with you. We're going to say, we release our faith with you for you to get that job. You're going to get that job, and then 30 days in that job, you're going to be like, I believe it's from the devil, and I don't want it. You got to know that you know before you go. You got to know. You're like, I'm working with all these devils. Are you not light in darkness? Why are you mind? Where are you, why are you concerned with devils? You ought to be the one speaking in, in, in peace. In, in, you go in early and just be like, I, all the crazy go bow down today. I release the peace. Can I do that? If you read this word, you know you can. If Jesus can speak to a storm, you can speak to crazy coworkers. But you can't go to work in the meeting and be like, I bind you in the name of Jesus. You can't do that. You can't do that. They can't see you spray the oil on them. Okay? They can't, you can't do that. You're going to get fired. So you got all the promises of God are yes and amen. So what did God say for you? Because God has good stuff for you. What did he say to you? Go get what he said for you. There are some very simple promises that belong to everybody. Salvation belongs to everybody. Is it the will of God for me to be in peace? Absolutely. That belongs to everybody. Is it the will of God for everybody to have enough money to pay their bills? It is the will of God for everybody. Yes. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, you need to talk to the Lord about it because you're not living where he wants you to be living. God has not called you to struggle. It is the will of God for you to be in health. It is not the will of God for you to be 37 on high blood pressure medicine because you eat crazy. Because if you talk to the Lord about how you eat, he will be like, stop eating that. But you can't because hear what the saints do. You want to eat everything the Lord told you not to eat. So you went to a buffet. You got fried chicken, catfish, two thick slices of ham. You got a soda. You got apple pie with ice cream on it. And then you talking about, I bind the devil over this food. You going to be sick because you violating the rules. You don't get to treat your body any kind of way and speak Jesus over it. You got to bring some complaint. I mean, at least put the fried chicken back. God, you just go eat everything. But it's good. That's your problem. You lack discipline. You got to know yourself. And you got to know what God said. All right. I'm not going to even turn to these scriptures. I'm just going to tell you where they are. And we're going to end with this for real. So Romans 4 and 20, you really need to read this. Great story in the Bible. It shows up in the Bible like five times, which means it's really important. It's the story of Abraham. How many know Abraham was old? 
Abraham was old. When Abraham was, Abraham was 75, he is the father of our faith. When Abraham was 75, the Lord said to Abraham, I am going to give you a son at 75. It was another 25 years before he actually got the son. Now, the challenge for most people is that if you have to wait more than 2.5 days, you feel like God left you. He didn't leave you. He working something out on your behalf. So he goes to Abraham and tells Abraham he's going to have a son. Abraham has never had any kids. He's 75. His wife has never had any kids. His wife is barren. He doesn't have any kids. And so God says to Abraham, he says, Abraham, go outside. He says, I want you to look up to the sky, and I want you to look up and count the stars. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you're going to have. How many of you know there's got to be a really big promise to believe that you're going to have descendants that number the sky, the stars in the sky, when you're standing there without one child? Not any different than you believing that God will give you a house when you're credit bad. Not any different. It ain't any different because what God specializes is, is in taking impossibilities and making them possible. So he says to Abraham, he says, go out to the sand. And I love this because most people don't recognize this because when you think about sand, you think about the beach. But Abraham wasn't at the beach when God told him to go out there. He lived in the desert. He said, Abraham, go look around and everywhere you see sand, that's how many kids you're going to have. Can you imagine, you know Abraham's excited because you know how we are when we first get a promise from the Lord. He's so excited. He's telling people. Now listen, his wife don't believe him. She laughed. Like, boy, we don't have no kids. You can quit playing with me. Don't get my hopes up. And that's what sometimes people will do when you have a promise. Sometimes you laughing because the promise was for her. And she was laughing. Like, we don't have no baby. So then Abraham does what most people do when they get a promise. You ever done this? Abraham says, well, it's been a few years and maybe the Lord forgot. So what we're going to do is we're going to help the Lord out. How many of you ever tried to help the Lord out? Amen. So he said, go help the Lord out. And you know what? I don't know what was wrong with them, but it, I just, just as a woman, I don't even understand how this whole thing worked. Because, so he had a handmaiden, and her name was Hagar, and she was fine. Now, the Bible says that Sarah was fine, too. She was just older. But Hagar was fine and young and fertile, and they concocted this plan. I can't even imagine this. I can't have babies, so what I want you to do is I want you to go sleep with no, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, not take one from the team. That ain't how we roll, right? So he goes to help God. But God doesn't even count that as a failure because what God says is the only reason he did it is because he believed. He could have went into his handmaiden years ago. But he never went until he had a promise. So even if you try to help God and mess up, God will still help you because your intent was to do what he wanted done. They end up with a son. See, that's how you need to believe God is good. See, you ain't you, you like, I know you tried to help God and you got yourself in a situation. You ain't got to try to get yourself out that situation. You be like, listen here, um, about that thing, we really messed up. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we really need your help over here, okay? Don't stop trying to fix that stuff yourself. Stop trying to fix it yourself. You're struggling with situations trying to fix stuff yourself. Let me like, look, um, excuse me. Hey, God, you see, we, 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 we got a situation, okay? And so he gives him Abraham, he gives him Isaac, he gets this son. But if you go over in Romans 4, in Romans 4, it says that he believed against hope. Now, that's what faith is. Anybody can believe. It's like this. He believed there was going to be snow on July 4th when it was 100 degrees. It ain't no prediction of snow. 
It ain't no chance of snow. It ain't never snowed on July 4th when it was 100 degrees, but because God said, he believed. It says, and that belief positioned him to receive. See, God doesn't need your behavior to position you. He needs your faith to position you. He doesn't need you to be perfect to do what he told you he would do. He just needs you to believe him enough not to abandon it when things get tough. And then if you go over in Hebrews 6, which is my absolute favorite scripture in the Bible, and in Hebrews 6, it says that when God was talking to Abraham, he said something to Abraham because the Bible says that in Romans 4, it tells us that what was written for Abraham was written so we could believe. He says, so God intentionally included the story of Abraham's miracle in the Bible so that you and I would know that impossibilities were not too hard for God. So in Hebrews 6, it goes back and shows you what happened in, in, Rome, in, in Genesis 12 when, Jesus, when God and Abraham are talking. So he tells Abraham to go out into the sand. And he said, and he said, if you can count the sand, you will, that's how many descendants you can have. Start counting the sand. You think about picking up a handful of sand and how fast the sand goes out of your hand. You think about this now. Every major religion calls Abraham their father. God honored his promise. Every Islam, Jewish, Christian, all say Abraham is their father. Because God says, if you believe me, I will multiply you in ways that you can't even imagine. But it says that when they were having that conversation, that God, Abraham says to God, if you go back and I believe it's Genesis 15, he says to him, he says, how can I know what you are saying is true? And God tells Abraham to make a sacrifice. But in Hebrews 6, it says that this is what God said to Abraham in plain language. The Bible says, how many of you know when you was growing up you couldn't swear to God? Anybody couldn't swear to God when you was growing up? Better not. You got kids, if they swear to God, now you go choke them out. You'd be like, you cannot swear to God. Can't even say, right. So God and Abraham are talking. And Abraham says to God, he says, God, how can I know that I can trust you to do what it is that you said you're going to do? And he said, Abraham, Abraham, here's how. He says, if I don't honor my word, I will cease to exist as God. He said, that's how powerful my word is, is that if I don't do what I told you I would do, I will cease to be God. He said, that's how much you trust you can put in my word. But then he goes on and he tells Abraham, tells Abraham he says, Men look to see by what they can swear by. When you're trying to make sure somebody's telling you the truth, man, I swear, you see it on time when they got like people, when they being arrested, they be like, I put that on my mama, everything, everything. I put it on everything. I put it on my baby, we, uh, everything. You see, you're looking for something to swear by. And God said to Abraham, he says, if you need to know that you can trust me, he said, Abraham, I swear to God, I bless you. I swear on myself. The same promises that God made to Abraham, it says that those promises in Galatians 3, it says those promises belong to you by faith in Jesus Christ. So the same promise that God made to Abraham for your peace, for your health, for your salvation, for your prosperity, for your good relationships, for your transformation. When he swore to Abraham, he was swearing to you. So the question is not whether, can, whether God can do it. The question is whether you can believe. Because if you can believe, all things are possible. And the only way you will ever grow is to decide to believe that the word is true no matter what. And if you decide to believe the word is true, your life will be filled with testimonies. You'll become a testimony to people. People say, how'd you get your marriage turned around? You'll be like, oh, let me tell you what the Lord did. Be like, girl, how you get that promotion, that job? You don't even have a degree yet. Well, let me tell you what the Lord will do. 
How'd you get your kids to turn around? How'd you restore that relationship? How'd you get your blood pressure down? Your life will be filled with testimonies of what God did because you chose to believe. That's who we want to be because we don't just want to impact people with good intentions. Any organization can feed people. But once you feed them, can you teach them how to change their lives? That's who we want to be. That's who Fellowship of Champions is. And it's so important that each one of us commit to grow, that we grow as individuals, that we grow as families, that we grow as spiritual family connected, that we get some maturity, that we're not easily offended, that we learn how to sit for the word. Why is this important? Because if you just remember 15 minutes, you can take this message and give it to somebody else. Tell them you seem like you out, but you're not down for the count. God still has a comeback plan for you. So that's my message for today. Amen.